0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Good afternoon, I'm Elahe Azadi, media reporter for the Washington Post, and welcome to Washington Post Live and another installment in our Race in America series. Today, I am joined by the executive producer of the new show, show, Gordita Chronicles, Claudia Forestieri, and who is also the creator, and Zoe Saldana. A reminder to our audience, that you are welcome to join our conversation, please tweet at us using the handle at PostLive. Welcome to Claudia and Zoe, it's great to see you both. Thank, Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, let's just jump in with Claudia. This show is your brainchild. What inspired you to create a show about this immigrant family who came to Miami in the 1980s?
2: Well, believe it or not, one of the inspirations was Donald Trump. So um, before getting into TV writing, I was a news producer for Telemundo News, um, and I was working in the newsroom um, when President Trump, of 2016, said those horrible things about immigrants. And it reminded me of a time um, in the 80s growing up when they were saying a lot of bad things about the immigrant population in Miami. Um, Crime had risen because of the cocaine trade and all the immigrants were kind of um, tainted by it, if you will. And um, Time Magazine even had a cover um, that said South Florida Paradise Lost. So when Trump said those words, it reminded me of another time where immigrants were actually being blamed for an area's problems. And look at Miami now, right? So I was like, wow, like, you know, people didn't know then what Miami was going to turn into. Um, Also, I was trying to break in. I had been in 2016. I had been in LA for seven years. I had been trying to break in as a TV writer, which is extremely competitive. And even though I had written several scripts and I had gotten into a diversity writing program, someone gave me this tip, which is write only a script, a script that only you can write. Um, So a story so individual that like people are going to be like, oh, my God, um, she can, you know, mine her own life for material. So that's what those two factors motivated me to look back at this time um, in Miami, in my childhood of when my life kind of was turned upside down.
1: Yeah, what's fascinating is in the show is that you all are able to sort of bring up that history within this comedy show. Uh, Zoe, I wanted to turn to you now and ask you what prompted you in your own history to want to help create this show that centers an American Dominican family?
0: Um, we were invited. My sisters were approached by our agents. About the project, HBO Max and Sony had raised uh, a great level of interest um, uh, for for Claudia's show. And the moment we read the pilot, we got to meet Claudia, and I, and they needed like you know they would they were encouraging an executive producer to jump along that was going to sort of help and amplify you know the show once it was done and. So when we read it, we completely fell in love with it. We saw ourselves in the show uh, as, as being daughters of immigrants, even though we're from New York, but it's, it's still an immigrant story nonetheless. And, and um, we just wanted to meet Claudia. We wanted to make sure that Claudia felt confident in us that we were going to provide that level of support that she really needed as, as a woman <laughs> you know, in, in, in this business, but also as a person of color, uh writing you know her memoir in, in a way and uh the moment we met it just felt really beautiful and and my sisters were you know adding support to Claudia and to Brigitte the showrunner uh from day one and I was only uh <laughs> I was only called anytime uh you know big phone calls needed to be made and and in a way I, I do have to say that I've worked so hard to get to this place where I am able to amplify stories like this that are so personally close to who I am. Um, and uh, and it just felt it just felt really like serendipitous.
1: Yeah, and I wanna get to later in the conversation, the power of having um, creative partners who can relate to you and and the power in amplifying your story when you have that. Um, But first, Zoe, I did wanna refer back to, in the introduction that we saw, we saw a clip from the show in which um, Cuckoo and her sister are sort of wondering if the American dream was oversold to them. And so Zoe, I'm wondering what you think that scene says about in a broader sense, the motivations of many immigrant families coming to the U.S. and and how the dream that people have of America, how that compares to the realities that they have to contend with once they arrive.
0: Um, I hear your question. I think that what Claudia did so brilliantly by being so honest about you know her <laughs> her personal life and conveying that is is that. The immigrant experience is is universal, right? And that's what's so relatable about it. Because we can relate to that, but we did the reverse migration where we were born in the States. And when I was nine, my family moved us to Dominican Republic and they sold us that island. Like it was, you know, like a 24 karat, you know, diamond. And yeah. and and there we got there, and after. A beach day and 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 all these things all that beautiful jazz of vacation time goes away and you're living the reality of living like the island life you're presented with its own unique challenges so i think that what lalia did was just show you that it doesn't matter if you are coming to the us or coming to miami specifically or if you are muslim if you are you know, uh, uh, Latino, if you were Asian, the immigrant experience is super universal. Everybody leaves their mother country for the betterment of their family, for better opportunities. And obviously like the camp, they have to sell it to not just each other, but to their children as well. And once they get there, it's like they're rolling their sleeves and they're hitting that ground running and they are staying positive, they're staying hopeful and primarily they're staying together and um and i feel like that's the essence of gordita chronicles and i feel like it's one of the reasons why um we were 100 we got 100 in rotten tomatoes i just have to flaunt because i'm just so proud of gloria <laughs> and, and every, all the words that everybody's double but it's what, baby? <laughs> where are you uh, i'm sorry well, I didn't... oh I got you jumping in no no i'm just like I, what i was saying is that I, I am so very proud and, I, and it just goes to show that when you are genuinely honest about your experience, that is, that is the relatability that people need to connect with you. But also by connecting with you, they're connecting back to themselves. You know, and I feel like America needs that like right now.
1: Yeah, and Claudia, so much of this story is centered on one of the central characters, Cuckoo, who I wanna ask you about, but first, Let's throw to this clip in which we see a scene from Gordita Chronicles with Cuckoo trying to reach Gloria Estefan and try and get her to perform at her school dance. Let's take a look.
2: Estefan Carlos, Estefan Fernando, Estefan Ignacio, no Estefan Gloria. But Michael Jackson's in here like 50 times. Hey, give that back, I'm about to make
0: an important call. Chad said to call him at eight. Who are you gonna call anyway? You haven't made any friends.
2: None of your business! Mira, niñas, niñas! What's going on? Crazy Cuckoo lied and told the kids at school that she could get her aunt, Gloria Stefan to sing at the dance. It wasn't a lie. If we're all God's children, then technically, we're all related. Wait, 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 wait. An Americano school dance? Como, like, in the movie Grease? I've always dreamed of a dance like that. Do they need chaperones? Because I'm available. Mommy! She lied, and you're happy? Okay, yeah, okay. No, lying is not good, pero... Cuckoo made a leap, and now she is a bold Americana. So just curious, but how long after the leap will the net appear? Because it would be great if it could happen by, like, Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Claudia, tell us
1: a little bit more about Cuckoo. To me, she strikes me as this character who is allowed to feel vulnerable, but we also can sense her confidence and her assertiveness and, and how she takes on those around her.
2: Yeah. So, you know, she's all of those things and she's sassy and she's persistent. She doesn't take no for an answer. So in her home country, um in the Dominican Republic, she enjoyed a certain life and a certain status. And she had friends and she had family. She had all these wonderful comforts. So when she comes to the United States, it's kind of like a slap in the face that she kind of has to start all over again. But even though she's new um and people don't know her, uh she's still craving that same status that she had. And that's kind of like her series long arc, which is, you know, I know I'm fantastic. Everybody loved me back home. It's only a matter of time before they love me here in this new place. So that's where she's coming from. So in real life, I um I never promised to bring Gloria Stefan to the school dance, but only because <laughs> I didn't think because if I would have thought of it, I mean, because everybody loved Gloria Stefan. Like she was like Miami's number one idol. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the fictional Cuckoo and me growing up. Um, But this Cuckoo, I feel, is a little bit more lucky and more happy than I was. I spent a little bit of time kind of being sad about being gordita. But, you know, also we wanted to show the beginning of the immigrant journey for Cuckoo from the POV of a 12-year-old, because at the beginning things are rosier and you do come with all this optimism and all these high expectations. So it's really fun to see that first part of the journey and hopefully we'll keep um, being able to develop her character and deepen it more as well as her journey if we get a, you know, season two, fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, and I was going to ask you if you also tried to get Gloria Stefan to come to your school, if that was inspired by real life. Um, bold move. <laughs> um, but, Claudia, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but the second episode, we do see Cuckoo navigating being bilingual. And you were able to weave in, the show was able to weave in a little bit of the history of Miami-Dade County at the time. Can you talk to us a little bit about what was going on in Miami at that time and why it was important to tell that story at this moment in time within our political landscape?
2: Sure. So at the time, um, in the early 80s, um, the Cuban community had been in Miami um, since even before 1959, before um, Fidel takes over, there was already kind of this Cuban community in Miami um, that was built up. But in in between 80 and 81, there was a Mariel boat lift. So there was a large amount of Cuban exiles coming to Miami. That also coincided with the rise and the popularity of cocaine, which um, at the moment they were blaming, you know, all the Latins, which is what they would call us back then, for all this rising crime, without side note, even acknowledging that the reason there was such a you know cocaine was so popular is because you had a lot of Americans demanding it and wanting and eager to pay a lot of money for it. So um, it was a tense time for Miami. There was a huge demographic shift. Latinos were becoming more of the majority, and there was a backlash. And um, as a result of that, I. Early in the 80s, um, I believe it was Miami Dade County. Back then it was just Dade County without the Miami. And they passed a law banning the use of any language other than English in public buildings. Thankfully, that law was recalled in the er, early 90s, I believe 1993, when um, the uh, makeup of the uh, board of supervisors um in Miami of oh, sorry in Miami they call them commissioners um it shifted and they went from being minority Latino um on the commission to majority in the 90s mm-hmm. and as soon as they had enough votes they were able to get rid of that law but in the 80s you have that law for most of the 80s where Spanish speaking Spanish was banned and that was because of xenophobia basically they were scared a lot of people in power that were not Latinos were scared that you know, Latin um, immigrants and Spanish-speaking immigrants were going to take over. And um, mm-hmm. so we, we kind of wanted to poke a little bit of fun at that. And um, and again, I don't want to spoil it either, as you pointed out. Yeah. Um, but We we just, that's one of the things that we love doing with the show that thankfully um, Bridget Munoz-Libowitz, who is a brilliant comedic mind, I can't say enough wonderful mm-hmm. things about her, but she, you know, one of her wonderful skills was taking some of these real life memories and events and finding ways to make them really, really, really funny. Along with our wonderful writers room, which we had all these wonderful comedic writers that make joke writing look easy. So um, we we took this sad kind of harsh reality of this anti-Spanish language movement and we're able to make this funny story out of it. And of course, that's something that's still debatable now in the United States. Like, should English be the only language spoken? There are many cities where Spanish is the second language and people, there's still a, lot, a large resistance to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um- I want to pivot now to talk a little bit more about representation, and we actually have a question from Twitter. So I'm going to look down and look at my phone here, and this one is for Claudia. It comes from at Miami Me, and he writes, "Claudia, I like that you're bringing a voice to the Dominican experience in Miami. How do you present it as a distinct, as it as distinct from the Cuban experience, and what are the similarities with other immigrants?" Um, and I'll just add that again, not spoiling anything, but. I was struck by, you know, there are Cuban immigrants also in the show, too. So depictions of them as well.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Great question from Will. Love that question. So in Miami, I like to say that being Dominican was kind of like being a minority within a minority. So... um, Right now in Miami and for the last few decades, the Cuban-American population, the Cuban culture is dominant in South Florida. And it's, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. I didn't even really appreciate it until I left Miami because being able to grow up in a place where you can speak Spanglish and speak English and Spanish. And, you know, after the 80s, after that law was struck down, like Spanglish and Spanish really flourished more in South Florida. So that was beautiful. Um, but of course there are differences between the different Caribbean Groups. And uh, sometimes there's tensions between the different Latino groups. So we were always looking for ways to highlight what unifies us and also the differences. Like in episode two, the mom befriends um, two neighbors. One is Cuban, one is Colombian. And she commits a big faux pas, which is not offering them cafecito. So that's a Latino tradition that is, you know, universal in Latin America. Somebody comes over to visit you you offer them coffee especially if it's in the afternoon you have to offer them something so the you know the mom even though she's not cuban or colombian she across latin america that's something everybody knows like you must do so she you know steps in it by doing that but then we also showed later a little bit of so that's something they all have in common right that tradition of you know serving coffee offering your guests something but then what they didn't have in common was um their preference of coffee, if it was Cuban, Colombian, or Dominican. There's also a big debate about whether Puerto Rican coffee's the best or Nicaraguan. So that was like, you know, a cute way for us to point out, yes, these women have similarities because they're all Latinas, but also they have their distinct culture. So um, that was one of the the ways that we were able to do it. And also in episode seven, we have um, the uh, baseball episode. I don't want to give it away, but basically um, Victor's boss assumes that because he's from the Dominican Republic and Dominicans are known for being good at baseball, that, you know, Victor automatically was going to be good at baseball. And that's something also that happens with Latin American immigrants, like people like believe if they know a little bit about your country, they think like, oh, Claudia's Dominican, she must dance really good merengue, which by the way, of course I do. But not <laughs> all Americans can dance merengue. So we, it was just really cool to be able to point out the similarities and the differences and to be able to laugh about them.
1: Yeah, all the ca- talk of cafecito has me wanting one right now. It's 2 p.m. on the East Coast. Um, Zoe, I want to turn to you now and ask you, you know, we're talking about different types of representation in Hollywood and pop culture, television specifically. Where do you see the state of representation in Hollywood when it comes to Latinos, Latino stories? And how have you been thinking about this in your role as a producer and behind the scenes, not just in front of the camera?
0: Um, I do believe that accurate representation is important. I think that there are so many groups that have been blatantly omitted from the American narrative for so long that, that portraying them as they are, as authentically as they are, um, is really important. I th- I, and I, I feel like it's part of swinging that pendulum to that other extreme in order for us to finally, within some years, maybe a decade or so, Find that balance, you know. Find that middle ground. Um, unfortunately, in the past, I had some personal experience with that when it came to uh, myself appropriating myself with with a character choice uh, in my career, and um, and I only reached a resolution once I I opened my heart, I opened my mind to a group that, even though I may, in a very general term, belong to, I am still very specific within that group, like Claudia was saying, you are a minority in a minority group. And that um, is important for us to keep in mind as, as content creators, because if we are telling a queer story, I think it is important for us to cast queer you know, actors. If we're telling a story about Dominicans, I think it's really important for us to try to the best of our abilities to look for that Dominican representation um, because there is a level of transparency that we as consumers and as audience, but also primarily as Americans, we are demanding, and um, and I think and I think it's important for us to pay attention to that. So, our job as executive producers, Maria and Cicely, myself as Cinestar, was to really dig in into Claudia and understand where Claudia was seeing this and where she wanted to go, and see how we. Were going to be good assets to her in helping her find the most amazing cast that was going to meet the requirements that she had set for herself uh, for the show, and um, and that was you know that was what we did, and 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 I feel like once you surrender to that reality, you become such an ally to so many groups that have felt misrepresented, overlooked, and 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 um, and it's and you're and you put yourself in a position to really gain confidence. And I feel like trust and confidence is something that we're losing as Americans, not just as consumers, but also like as active Americans, as voters and everything. So you can only do that by really, really being transparent in the level of support that you are providing for these groups.
1: Yeah, and and something that you just said struck me as, you know, this might be a very specific story, but once you sort of raise your consciousness and awareness around telling authentic stories, it's not just about the very specific group that you might identify with, but that is a universal experience unto itself. Um, Claudia, when I was watching this show, you know, I'm I'm also, I'm not an immigrant, but I'm the daughter of immigrants. And it really just was so relatable to me, but I also was reflecting on growing up and how a lot of the pop culture depictions that I grew up seeing of immigrants either sidelined them or made them the butt of the joke. And this show strikes me as in a trend, I wonder if you think it's a trend too, of centering immigrant stories, and they're the protagonists, and they're not the butt of the joke, and we're kind of seeing America through their eyes. Are you seeing this happen? And if so, what is the role of what Zoe was just talking about, about having those allies within the industry helping to bring those stories forward?
2: Am I seeing this happen in in Hollywood, in the industry, of more stories being told from immigrant point of view? Yeah. Is that a trend you're seeing? actually i would say no unfortunately right now we're one of um very few shows um with latino families at the center um pentified which was a beautiful show um Created by Marvin Lemus and Linda Vet Chavez, were both brilliant TV show writers and creators. Unfortunately, it was canceled by Netflix. Um, we had Vida, which is a brilliant show created by Tanya Saracho, which showed flawed Latina women also living here in Los Angeles, was also canceled. So I think right now we're at a point where um, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like two steps forward, one step back, or maybe even two steps back. And I wish that because of this show it would motivate other networks to green light shows about other immigrants i think there's space for a show about dominican immigrants set in new york and you know there's so much talent and so many funny dominican writers that haven't gotten a chance puerto rican writers there's you know nicaraguan writers like i have another friend also who's of nicaraguan descent so if you ask me um I hope this show kicks off a trend. I know that's bold for me to say, but I think that um it's very painful when you think about just the lack of latine representation um and the big gap that we still have. You know, we're almost 20% of the population, less than 6 or 5% of the characters in TV and film. Those are rough numbers. I don't know if they've changed recently, but um I, I think that really also something that we wanted to do with this show is we didn't want to um, just capture the immigrant population. We also wanted to capture the non-immigrant population. That's why I I always felt that having this be a comedy was the right choice because you you know get a lot more flies with honey, right? I think a lot of people that you might not be able to relate to immigrants in their everyday life who are not immigrants or are not people of color, when they see what some immigrants go through and they're able to laugh at it along with us, then, you know, maybe that'll open their eyes and soften them. And at least, you know, through comedy, you're able to really humanize people. So um I, I really hope things start to change for the better. We've had some victories in the last few years, but if you ask me, not enough.
1: Mm-hmm. No, yeah, thanks for pointing that out and, and just how much it contrasts with the actual population of this country and, and the lack of representation in popular media. Um, Zoe, I'm, I'm thinking back to when you first joined the industry. I believe that you were advised to change your name. How do you look back on that advice now? And what has it been like with the power of reclaiming your name in this moment?
0: Um, it's funny because I, I don't know. I can answer that in so many different ways, but um, what I do want to start off by saying is that the people that were advising me loved me and mm-hmm. and had had you know had to also uh, change you know their name uh, three decades before when they started you know as as um, entertainers in New York, and and this was what everybody did. So y- you need to understand that the immigrant experience has been. Alive and kicking in a very universal way in America for the last, I would say, you know, 300 years or, or more, because we are a land of, of immigrants. We're we're standing on stolen territory, so everybody has that thing of like that fear of wanting to not wanting to be picked on, and not wanting their children to be picked on. So when I was encouraged to do that, um, you know, and, and I thought about it, I when I said no. I was I was celebrated for that as well, but they they were doing right by me by offering me that option, you know, and um, and I, I think that we are moving in the right direction, even though it's a, at a very slow pace. That sometimes it may seem very frustrating and um, and hopeless, but we are moving forward. Remember, we're we're also going through like a lot in America. It's not just it's not just a, an immigrant uh, crusade. It's also a crusade against women. It's also a crusade against the LGBTQIA community. Um, uh, you know, the old establishment is dying, and it's desperate to gain to, to keep control. and And violence will be at its most uproar, and and that's what happened. So. Um, to jump back to what I'm saying about changing your name, we are in a different place today than we were 10 years ago, than we were 20 years ago, but it's still happening. People are still wanting to avoid yeah. the dilemma, to avoid the extra time spent explaining yourself, and they do sometimes remove that extra vowel from your last name and add that extra consonant. And, um, and it's unfortunate, but also I do believe that I'm not one to judge anybody's immigrant experience. Um, And I I do think that if we look at it from a scope of uh, compassion, uh, we do understand that we're all just avoiding being bullied. You know, and that's that's the whole immigrant experience as to why sometimes we don't teach our kids our native tongue or we don't teach our children about history. It has nothing to do with just the fact that we're all uneducated. Sometimes it's fear that paralyzes. And an us wanting our children to thrive and not have to survive every day because they're getting picked on for being different. And um, once you provide that kind of compassion, you sort of understand it is going to happen. But you have an option. That's what we know today that we know before. You do have an option to still be your authentic self and, and choose a path of absolute uniqueness. And you will still find people that will lend that support and communities that will support you for who you truly are. Mm.
1: I wish we could talk for a whole other hour, half an hour, but unfortunately, we've just run out of time. I want to thank you both so much, Claudia and Zoe, for joining me today. Thank Thank you. you.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.